I'm Jeff MacArthur, back on this Wednesday with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. And Dr. Gorfinkel, yesterday, Canada's top doc, Dr. Teresa Tam, saying that Omicron is indeed infectious for up to 10 days. And I guess if we know that, a lot of people are wondering, why is the recommended isolation period half of that? You know, it's a balance. So many people are taken out by Omicron. You know, so if the isolation period were to be 10 days, we wouldn't have enough people to staff critical services. What critical services am I talking about? Go right down the food chain, the hospitals, the long-term care. You know, it goes right through radiology services, x-rays, ultrasounds, family, doctors, offices, case in point, you're looking at it right here. Last week, we closed down. Too many of us got infected. There's a huge difference between 10 days and five days, and it's really hard to strike that right balance just so. So that's what the five day is nodding to. These are medical decisions ultimately that have to be made by epidemiologists and public health officials to best determine what is that sweet spot in which we lower the number of cases, absolutely try to reduce the transmission, and yet keep society as we know it going. And there's a lot of concern around that. And by the way, we'll have much more on that part of the story coming up in our next hour here this afternoon, because there's some concern about grocery stores and whether or not some of them might have to put up a, a closed sign for a little while. And we're going to delve into that. Uh, meantime, uh, Pfizer's COVID pill was given the go-ahead earlier this week, Dr. Gorfinkel, by Health Canada. What exactly is it promising and just how big of an announcement is this? So this is another gift from our friends at Pfizer, in addition to the vaccine. And I say gift because it has the potential to be a game changer. And why is a family doctor so excited about it? Imagine my patient who's either unvaccinated or who's older calls my office, announces that she may have COVID or has COVID. This is actually for confirmed cases, but imagine if I could put my pen to the prescription pad and give her a prescription for an oral pill to take for five days. Welcome to the world of Paxlovid. So this is an antiviral that stops the virus early in the course of symptoms, as in as early as we can get it, or at least before five days, from spreading. It, it, not from spreading, but from dividing. It stops the virus from dividing in the body. So if we get it on board early enough, the study that Pfizer has done shows that it reduces the likelihood of death and hospitalization by a whopping 89%. Think about that. Iris Gorfinkel has the potential with a prescription to keep nine out of 10 people out of hospital. That's an amazing drug. That is a powerful, powerful tool. And as you mentioned there, it's available by prescription only. Having said that, do you see a day where maybe we might have pills like this, much like we have aspirin on hand? No, I actually don't. So understand, in the study, they looked at older individuals who were unvaccinated. That's how they were able to get to that reduction of 89% in hospitalization and death. So it's not ready to go into the drinking water just yet. Not only that, you're talking about get your wallet out. How much do you think one course of therapy costs? Give me a guess, Jeff. What's yeah. your guess? Listen, I could throw out just any sort of wild number because I know just how expensive these drugs are when they first come to market just because of all of the research and development that's put in by companies like Pfizer. 
Well, the raw materials cost about $2.50. Okay, US. (laughs) But how much is the drug? Now, we don't know how much Canada has paid because these things are kept under wraps. They're private. That's always how it's been. But the US, it's $530, US dollars, one treatment course. So it is an expensive proposition. It's not going to go into the drinking water for that reason and for other reasons. What are the side effects? Answer, we're not 100% sure. That includes things like vomiting and muscle aches, headaches, high blood pressure. So until it's been in widespread use, we don't want to start giving it out widely. And yet a third reason, it is not proven, you know, its efficacy in a, in a low-risk population. Say somebody who's already been vaccinated, that's a very low-risk population. We know that their chance of going into hospital is reduced 90%, pretty much. So why would I give an expensive drug to somebody who's fully vaccinated unless maybe they're immunosuppressed? So what's Ontario? How's Ontario going to land on the criteria, the eligibility criteria? Who's going to decide that? And the answer right. is science tables working at it now. Because there is talk, Dr. Gorfinkel, that maybe these pills should be reserved for the unvaccinated if it's going to help uh, once you are feeling symptoms to keep you out of the hospital, that that would be the, the most effective uh, route when it comes to keeping hospitalizations and ICU visits down. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense, right? Because individuals who've been vaccinated, their likelihood of winding up in hospital, especially with Omicron, is about 89% less. So there have to be a few caveats thrown in. Somebody who's really older and has a lot of other health conditions, perhaps they should be on the list. What if they're six months off their dose? Or what if they never got a booster? You know, what if they're 12 months off? Like there will come a time where we're going to have to answer these questions. And what about other variants that are yet to come that we are not measuring that could be on Canadian soil and we should not completely dismiss that as a possibility. And and we don't know the answers to these questions. We got to eat the humble pie on what we know and what we don't know. So we've got a lot to learn about Paxlovid, and we're about to see the world's knowledge explode in terms of what it knows and what it can and cannot do. Okay, let's go from the pill back to the needle, if we could, for a second. And of course, uh, we're busy trying to get that third shot boosters into as many people as possible as quickly as we can. But what's the latest? Let's talk about fourth doses. What's the latest there when it comes to a possible fourth dose? Is it something that is going to be needed? So this is super interesting. The world has its eyes on Israel. Again, why? Because they were giving out second booster shots or fourth doses, as they call call them, starting from six months after, five to six months after the first booster shot. And what's interesting so far in what we know is that it does not appear to reduce the transmission of the disease. In other words, people are still spreading it in spite of having had it. What we know is that it does boost their antibody levels up by five times, But the multi-trillion dollar question remains, is it going to reduce hospitalizations and deaths? And there's a big question mark after that. And that's why we see the likes of Health Canada saying, wait a second, we're going to give booster shots all right. But NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, says we're not going to give it to everybody. We're only going to give it to people who are immunocompromised. So we're talking about the highest risk of the highest risk people. 
And so Ontario has said, yeah, we're going to give it to the immunocompromised, but we're also going to give it to people in long-term care. Because if you look at the deaths, if you look at the burden of hospitalizations, it is falling on their shoulders and by a mile. It's certainly not falling on the, on the shoulders of kids. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you, I got less than a minute here, but when it comes to fourth doses, will it be just for the most vulnerable, do you think? Or should we all be prepared that we're going to need a fourth, fifth, sixth dose that we're going to need basically a COVID booster or vaccine, much like we need a flu shot on a yearly basis? Caveat. For now, as far as the eye can see, it's only going to be for those that small group. A lot will depend on what the Israeli data actually winds up showing about hospitalizations and deaths. For now, it's going to be the immunocompromised and those in long-term care will be concentrated in those high-risk groups rather than, again, putting it in the drinking water, as they say. All right. Got to leave it there for this week, Dr. Gorfinkel. Much appreciated, as always. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, clearing up uh, some of the confusion around the latest COVID headlines. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Vaccine researcher and family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel with us. We'll step aside. Stay with us. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.